Hello there. Welcome to House Mugen episode 14. The greatest love story never told. Now, before we get this thing started, what I would like to do is I would like for you to hear something from a guy named Kent Hovind. I need to, to you need to hear this first. One, because I can't really articulate it as well as he can. And two, because this will really set the tone for the rest of the talk. Consistent and being a very honest person, I'm sure you can tell me where God came from. And in addition, in addition, once you've told me where God comes from, uh, please try to clarify how you can figure that a spiritual force can have an impact on a material universe to create it. But you got five minutes. Now, I just want to which question. That's all right. You may take the rest of the minutes. We're supposed to do one question at a time. Which one would you like? That was part of the format for the debate. So which, which I want you to fill in the story of the rest of the uh, beginning of the universe. God, spiritual matter, impact on material matter. Okay. So two questions. All right. Go ahead. All right, your question, where did God come from, assumes that you're thinking of the wrong, uh, obviously it displays, that you're thinking of the wrong God, because the God of the Bible is not affected by time, space, or matter. If he's, if he's affected by time, space, or matter, he's not God. Time, space, and matter is what we call a continuum. All of them have to come into existence at the same instant, because if there were matter but no space, where would you put it? If there were matter and space but no time, when would you put it? You cannot have time, space, or matter independently. They have to come into existence simultaneously. The Bible answers that in ten words. In the beginning, there's time. God created the heaven, there's space, and the earth. There's matter. So you have time, space, matter created, a trinity of trinities there. Just, you know, time is past, present, future. Space has length, width, height. Matter has solid, liquid, gas. You have a trinity of trinities created instantaneously. And the God who created them has to be outside of them. If he's limited by time, he's not God. The guy who created this computer is not in the computer. He's not running around in there changing the numbers on the screen, okay? The God who created this universe is outside of the universe. He's above it, beyond it, in it, through it. He's, he's unaffected by it. So for and the, the concept that a, a spiritual uh, force cannot have any effect on a material body, well then I guess you'd have to explain to me things like emotions and love and hatred and envy and jealousy and, and rationality. I mean, if your brain is just a random collection of chemicals that form by chance over billions of years, how on earth can you trust your own reasoning processes and the thoughts that you, you think? Okay, so... Your, your question, where did God come from, is assuming a limited God. And that's your problem. The God that I worship is not limited by time, space, or matter. If I could fit the infinite God in my three-pound brain, he would not be worth worshiping, that's for certain. So that's the God that I worship. Thank you. Okay. So, that's kind of how I wanted to start this thing. Man, I miss that man. That was Kent Hovind. Uh, Kent Hovind. Sorry, I'm I'm bad about enunciating. But uh, he was a evangelist, a very 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 good one. Um, and uh, I miss his work honestly. But uh, he was one of the very first uh, men of God that I had ever seen actually go toe-to-toe with atheists and science and uh, and put it all through a creationist uh, a creationist view and it was the coolest thing I had ever seen uh, being a young Christian growing up you know this is like old school church type stuff and uh, that was one of his uh, most famous talks where he was uh, uh, debating a atheist uh, professor uh, in front of a, in front of a class like that's like the, the, the best that's the best explanation for God I have ever heard I've never heard anyone come even remotely close uh, and every person that I have ever showed that to that is like super science driven it's like something they can't 
even refute because it, it, it falls in line with everything that they believe scientifically. And the science community has already bore that out. That's the reason why they call, call it the God particle, the thing that holds everything together because they don't know what else to call it. They don't know what holds an atom together. So before I start this story, I need you to be willing to approach it with the same level of whimsy and wonder you would do to like the Frozen story or Pinocchio or any other archetypical story because it's the same story. In fact, if anything, this was the first of all of those stories. All the Mother Gooses, all the other, this was the first story. And why we don't tell this story every Valentine's Day, every New Year's, every... It's a story of the the love affair between men and women. Men and women in particular. It's our story. It's a story of mankind. And it's the greatest love story never told. Which is the title of, of this talk. So... So let's start with... Conceptually what happens in the Garden of Eden. I'm not going to go through a whole bunch of cliff notes. I'm not going to post a whole bunch of, uh, of scriptures to reference. I'm one of those people, I believe, you present the information out there. If someone is savvy enough or thinks that it's something that pertains to them, then they will go do the research because that's what I did. And that's how I got uh, uh, this far is, is by doing the work. So I'm just going to put the information out there. You take it as you will. But in this instance, I would really, really like you to envision as much as I say, because the thing about this story is that it's a story that you really have to picture like you're like you're like you're like you're looking at a cartoon or you're or you're reading a comic book or or, 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 envisioning a story. So so the story starts off with a barren, void, nothing space. It was called the deep. And it was it was dark and it was there was nothingness and there was void. <clears throat> the void. The original void. That means that at one point all of this was just a void. It was just darkness. Which is important to preference. It means that the underlying theme of the world is darkness. Perpetual darkness. That's what lies underneath. That's the underside of the tapestry. So, so like, you know, if you if you understand like how things are sewed together and patterned, you know, there's there's the design that you see on the top. You know, and this this string is laid over this one and this over that. And, this beautiful pattern on the top, but underneath, when you look at, at it, when you flip that carpet or that rug or that tapestry over, it looks nothing like what's on the top. It looks like a distorted, hot mess. Sometimes there's, you know, st- strings all hanging off, or this weird, you know, mesh on the back holding it together. Like there's all kinds of, you know, glue and, and rough, uncomfortable stuff. You know, the bottom of the rug, you know, rough, uncomfortable, damn near like sandpaper could catch you up. You know, like shoot. If you've ever installed carpet before, you know exactly what I'm talking about. The underside of carpet, that shit will cut you to shreds. <clears throat> so, yeah, life is like that. If you want to envision what life is, that. The underside of the tapestry. Darkness and void. And God. He who lives outside of all of this, as you just learned, from Kid Hovine, decides, nope going to build something, something everlasting, something beautiful. And so, does, you know, uh, creates light, and the earth, and space, and time, life and death, all in an instant. You know, the voice, the light, the perpetual light the light that never goes out. God itself creates all of this. He says he, he uh, makes the, the birds, he makes like two different sets of birds. If you, if you read, if you read uh, the, the book of Genesis, I'm serious, it would be, it was, it's a good read if you ever get a chance 
to really dissect it, you'd learn a lot. Like pretty much every time you read it, you would learn something, no matter how many times you read, because there's so much compacted in those old texts. But I mean, God literally makes, contextually, literally makes two sets of birds. And interestingly, everything that God creates, it has a base function. Like it, it has a nature to it that it can't really go outside of. And if it does, it just looks wonky and just distressed and out of control. And so like, even with the birds, it was said that he made some out of water and some out of the earth. Now, interestingly enough, uh, people get confused and will say that there are um, inconsistencies in, in, in the Bible. Like, for instance, in Genesis, it, it has birds and animals of different types made on separate days. And, and then says that it was made on different days. And it's like, no, there was no mess up on the days. It was just that there were animals that were made on the earth, and then there were animals made specifically, or there, there's actually a part where it breaks off and talks about what specifically happens in the actual Garden of Eden. So the, the beginning of Genesis really is just talking about what the, what's happening to the earth itself. And then it zeroes in uh, in the story. Because these guys, you know, they don't know how to, they did, back then they didn't, you know, do paragraphs or break things apart or, or like, you know, properly continue a sentence, they would just jump, jump to the next part. And so that's how the story reads. And so it goes from what happened in what happened in uh, in the earth and what happened around the earth and what happened in the garden. So contextually to, 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 to explain what I'm talking about. Because you if you could there's things in life whenever you're trying to get to the bottom of something if you, if you, the best way to not be deceived on something is if you, they, they do this in science, and this is the reason why it's always a good, a good practice, but I believe that, that, um, that, that faith-minded people are supposed to act the same way. It's actually biblical. But you should have, like, three points of connection when it comes to information. You know, that it should line up, you know, it should line up spiritually, it should line up factually, and it should line up in reality. So, like, the perfect example is, is like, you know, spare the rod, spoil the child. You know, it's the old Bible, Bible saying. You know, does this line up in three points of, of, you know, of, of intersect to it being true? Well, look at life. You know, if you let a child get completely out of control, or you don't teach them boundaries, or how to respect other people's personal space, or how you should be respectful of other people's feelings, what happens, what happens in five years of that, ten years of that, child honestly living their life as though the world revolves around them, well, what, what happens, they need to return into caring, God knows what else, and go out there creating hell for everybody else, what you've done is you've turned something that was a localized problem just for you, into a problem for everybody else, simply because you couldn't say no, stop that, why are you doing that, you need to take a time out, no, I'm taking your phone away, you see what I'm saying, so, spare the rod, spoil the child, which turns into spoil the adult, but back to the story, so, the trinity of trinities itself, God, decides to build life. And everything that he creates has a, a continuity to it. For example, the birds that were made on land are land birds. That's the reason why to this day we have land-bearing birds, birds that predominantly stay on land. Now, interestingly enough, those contextually in the Bible were made from the earth. Now, the ones that were you know, made outside of the garden. And those were the ones that were made inside the garden. All those, anything that was made inside the garden was made from the earth. Anything that was made outside of the garden was made either from the earth or the, the land. And then the, uh, anything that was made out of water, because you know, fishes and birds, was made from, from, from water. Which, interestingly enough, is the reason why most seafaring birds return to the sea when they die. Pretty cool, right? See, uh, that's the type of stuff I'm talking about where something that you connect 
from a biblical sense. And the Bible is pretty much one of the only books on earth that you can do that. Just, I, I, I'm, I'm serious. I, I dare you to try it. There's lots of things in the Bible that you can actually line up with science. Because the science, the science community has been doing it for years, and they've been trying to refute all of it and have been completely unsuccessful. So uh, that's the reason why they don't talk about it anymore. They just you know, keep that little defeat under the rug. It's kind of like what, what, what the police do with the war on drugs. It's a failed war because there's a, there's a continuity to things. There's a continuity to the things that, that God built. And that's where we come in. See, the Bible is, is, is pretty clear on this, that everything that... God creates, He creates with His own pleasure, but not just for that, because there's a purpose to these things. Just like there was a purpose to us. This is what this whole thing is all about. So He creates a man. A man named Adam. Now, like I said, we want, we want, I want us to, to envision this like a story. So imagine what it would be like to be born inside the matrix be able to build whatever you want. I mean, like, imagine if if right now you had the ability to dream any dream that you wanted and that in your dream you had complete operational control. Well, this is the kind of life that Adam lived in the beginning. Because uh, the story reads that he literally got to enjoy time with the light, with the voice of God Himself. You got to walk with Him, got to talk with Him, got to lay in the grass and bask in His glory, completely unafraid, surrounded by light and everlasting. He was immortal, wanted for nothing, didn't need to eat, didn't need to sleep. Now, interestingly enough, in the story, the narrator of the story himself says that he, he, he realized that this would not be enough for Adam. Now, interestingly enough, that, that, should, that should point you to a very interesting conclusion, is that everything was created in twos for a reason. Because what ends up happening in the story is that the light, the voice, God himself, tells Adam, hey, I got a gift for you. I'm going to give you a wife. And of course, Adam, like the little boy mind that he was, he didn't know what a wife was. He had no clue. He just knew that if the God of all creation was going to give him one, it was going to be the shit. And so... He was super excited about it. And so this is how it was going to go down. They were in the garden, and God was going to create, you know, the light. He was going to create more animals. And this time, Adam was going to get to name them, and from them, he was going to get to pick a wife. So Adam was like that. So, you know, a dog got formed out of nothing from the earth in front of him. And Adam, you know, cocked his head to the side, and so did the dog. And they looked at each other, and he was like, all right, um, I'm going to name you K-9. But a wife, you're not. So, you know, little, little puppy scurries off, and this goes on, you know, for a minute, you know, with animals being conjured up, Adam naming them, and not selecting a wife. So, the voice, God, the light himself, decides to put Adam to sleep. And so it says that Adam falls into a deep slumber in the grass. And then the light decides to reach inside of Adam and do what it had done to Adam in the first place. See, contextually, the story reads that the light, that the Trinity of Trinities, wanted to create something like him. So Adam was created in his image. And then all the 
all the uh, the interesting connections thereof. And he did the same thing when he created Eve, because he reached inside of Adam and took one of his ribs. The only thing in this whole story that wasn't created solely from earth or water was Eve. She was made from Adam's rib. Why we forget that fact blows my mind, but she was made from him. So, of course, the story reads that Adam wakes up. I'm pretty sure his heart stopped. I'm pretty sure that was the very first time it ever happened. It's the reason why men's hearts stop to this day when we see a woman so beautiful that we can't comprehend it. And that's pretty much what happened to Adam. Is that he opened his eyes and suddenly paradise felt like heaven. He didn't even know what heaven was because I'm sure he stared at her for a good minute mouth agape to see this gorgeous creature before him that he had never seen before that was created in his image and was magnificent and it was good and God was happy and Adam was happy and she was named Eve now I won't get into the meanings and all of this stuff of the names and stuff like that that's actually pretty interesting and if you ever get a chance you should look that up as to the meanings of Adam and Eve but I digress back to the story. And so, like the underside of the tapestry, there were other things at play. Other things, other parts of the story that happened that are pertinent to the story. See, there was a whole battle that had happened before all of this. But nobody, you know, in this story aside from God knew anything about. See, there was an uprising in heaven. A huge uprising, led by one man. And now, the one thing that you gotta remember about life is that, is that there are snakes of all kinds, of all sizes, everywhere. Whenever I'm talking about dragons or wolves, that's the type of stuff I'm talking about. You know, evil natures, you know, uh, uh, shifty, cunning, wicked, wicked stuff. And this dude, in this particular story, the name was Lucifer. He was an angel. Uh, probably one of the greatest of all of them. And uh, proof of so is that the story reads that he literally sat outside of God's throne room, played the trumpet, beautiful lady, was a gorgeous creature and a singer. I've always wanted to believe that Lucifer was a chick, because only a chick would be brazen enough to keep going back home if she's not welcome and walking up and down in the place and telling everybody what she's doing. It's a story inside of Job, if you, if you want to get contextual about that one, uh, that will uh, really give you an insight into how Lucifer works. But... You know, he, uh, he got kicked out. You know, if, you, if you really want to consider it like a contextual story, you could kind of look at Lucifer as like your, your big stepbrother. So you know, he got kicked out. He acted a fool, started an uprising in heaven, basically said, you know, Dad, you're not shit. I can do your job in my sleep. I don't really know why you have to create more stuff. You have, like, me, and I'm great. So, like, why do you need this goofy little nothing dude named Adam who can't do nothing? Like, he's dumb. He doesn't know anything. He's just there, you know, and he's weak and helpless. Like, I could kill him with my finger, like, you know, and I mean, that's the story of our lives, you know. People, they, they'll, they'll, they will jump on board and sink your ship if you don't let them be captain, just out of spite. Because they ain't got nothing better to do because, you know, why not just do right, you know? For some people, it's not that simple. See, in this life, there are some people who have created a fourth option. And this is the day that it started. 
seat. There's, you know, this old saying, it's like, help, lead, or get out of the way. You see, there are some people who like to create a fourth option. They don't want to help. They refuse to help. To them, it's beneath them to help. Somebody else can do it. They don't want to lead because that would mean that they would have to get up there and actually do stuff, you know, and have people look up to them and actually have to, like, practice what they preach and actually live and bear that out. So they don't want to do that. And they sure as hell don't want to get out of the way because they have all these opinions about how things should go. Things that they don't really want to do their damn self. But they sure as hell think need to be done. And so they create this fourth option where they, they, they just sit on the sidelines and talk shit and disrupt. And, you know, try to uh, shoot holes and everything like it's their job. So... This is Lucifer in a nutshell, and pretty much what he does is he gets kicked out. So he's been chilling on the earth this whole time. He actually got kicked out back when he was just a boy. So he had been here all by himself, brooding, pissed off, and angry as hell at everybody, particularly at Adam. Because it's like this, you know, this, this new little upstart. You know, it's, it's like that, that story of. Uh, of the Lion King, you know, like when Simba gets born, same story, beautiful, archetypical story, same story, just like Scar got pissed off when Simba was, was born, it's the same thing, same story, so, so Adam's walking around completely oblivious that he has the hater of all haters on his tail, you see, most haters are cowards, and cowards will never take you head on. So if they really want to hurt you, they hurt the things you love. They attack your heart. That's what all cowards do. They'll never attack a man head on. They attack the things he loves. That's all psychopaths do. That's the reason why you know, they murder children and they shoot up schools. It's because it's the greatest protest to harm the innocent. Because that's what wolves like to do. They like to remind you that, hey, haha, you forgot about us and you got some of your sheep. Ha. That's the, that's the biggest victory for them. It's the kill they got away with. They don't give a damn about doing it in your face or confronting you toe-to-toe. No villain has ever been that way. No bad guy has ever been that way. They like to hit you in your blind spots. They like to kidnap your kids. They like to burn down cities and villages when they don't get their way. They like to completely take over governments and change entire stories and parts of history. They don't want to play fair. It ain't, ain't about the honor for them. It's about the results. And so, as the story reads, there's a spirit. A very unclean, prideful, spiteful spirit that takes the form of a snake. Now, we all know who this is, but the story is pretty vague on exactly who the guilty party is. But, I mean, we all know who, we all know who ordered the hit. So, because if you read the story per context, it's obvious who ordered the hit. And so, Eve, the only one in this story who had never seen the Trinity of Trinities create anything, she was completely oblivious to his power, to God's power. I mean, like, she didn't know anything. All she knew was what Adam told her. All she knew was what she saw from the day she opened her eyes. Now, the thing about the story is that the light had a working relationship with Adam. You know, if anything, you know, Adam had had some operational control in certain things. But I mean, he was he was pretty much given the keys to the, the keys to the kingdom right off the bat. And Eve was honestly created to help him, to be there for him, to help complete his life. She didn't know this. Adam didn't know this, but God did. In fact, nobody, you know, aside from God, understood this concept. That's the reason why he allowed all of this to go down, because it was for a greater purpose, unbeknownst to all of us. So, Eve is wandering around and the story reads that there was one particular thing in the Garden of Eden that you weren't allowed to touch. The 
because, you know, like any parent, when you have that first child, there's, there's a lot of rules that you like to put in place. You have to, or at least you think you have to, because it's your first child, so you're freaking out, you're putting all these safety barriers on, you know, that's the reason why when Adam came out the, out the gate, you know, uh, uh, the Heavenly Father wanted to make sure that that he had training wheels on, so he was immortal. He do whatever he wanted. He glowed like the sun. He was perfectly safe. That God didn't have to worry about him at all. So, all the way up to this point, him and Eve were, they were invincible. They were living their best lives. And they didn't even know each other really yet. They were just, they were just living in paradise. It's like, it's like when you go on vacation by yourself and then you run into like the girl of your dreams on vacation. I mean, they were just like, like vacation weekend in the Bahamas just living a dream. And uh, everything was beautiful until the haters showed up. And the haters took the form of a snake and slid it up the tree that was supposed to be slithered up and whispered to the girls, hey, hey, come here. Let me holler at you. And he's just like, whoa, I've been here for a little bit, but I didn't know there walking animals. This, this place is crazy. Like, imagine being, like, out on vacation, right? And, and then, like, a talking crab walks up to you and is like, hey, bro, like, you see this bottle right here? <laughs> you drink this? You can fly, dude. You telling me you ain't gonna drink that bottle? I, I say 99.9% of you would. <laughs> so, and then, I mean, this is what happened to Teach. She was presented with an, with, with an adventure. Something completely abnormal has just happened. More abnormal than what was already going on. And so she was like, bet. So the story reads, which I want to I wanna just pause for just one second. You're probably sitting here wondering, some of you probably wonder why you've never really heard this story told this way before. Uh, and I'm going to tell you there's a reason for that. The book of Genesis and the book of Revelations are the two most attacked books in the Christian tradition ever. The science community, atheists, all those guys, they have not attacked any two books more. If you look look at the history of books that were attacked throughout history, there are no two books on earth that have been attacked more than Genesis and Revelation. And this is why. Because uh, Genesis lays out Lucifer's devices and how he does things. And clearly lays out that he's the god of this earth. And Revelation, of course, tells his end about how he eventually, in the end, gets cast into a lake of fire and suffers eternally for all the shit that he's done. So it kind of, kind of contextually makes sense why the world is the way that it is, why men and women are so divided, and it all started here. At this one particular instance, in this one part of the story, on this one particular day. And it's the reason why, to this day, very few people know about this part of the story. So, he, you know, so, so he you know, rolls up, forms a snake, slithers up the tree, and says, you know, hey, sweetie, let me holler at you. And he was like, me? Yeah, you know, you know, that God dude, he's cool and all, I guess. But you know he lying to y'all, right? And she's like, what you say? He says, you know, like, like you see this tree right here, right? Now, I missed, you know, this part contextually. There's this tree. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, back to what I was saying about parenting. You know, your parent, first-time parent, there's always a lot of rules. Now, of course, the more kids you have and in the passing of time, you cut back on a lot of these rules because you realize, man, like, some of this stuff is just extra. So, there was one major rule in the Garden of Eden, which was that you did not touch 
and or bite the fruit of this one particular tree called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil which is a very very interesting thing to call a tree but that was what it was and the rule was pretty simple you eat it you die and this is what Adam knew in fact this is the only thing that God had told Adam that he couldn't do and so he didn't do it and he was a good boy I mean he did what his dad told him to do he stayed away from the tree in fact he probably completely forgot that he was even there because he was such a good son he was too busy enjoying his best life Adam was living the dream he didn't know jack about this tree in fact, to be completely honest, the day that, that Adam and Eve met, <laughs> he was probably so excited to see her that while this was going on, he was probably out trying to figure out how to make a ring. Like, the dude was just, he was in love and he was happy. And he was off, you know, he, 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 he was gone. Now, that's what happens when you fall in love at first sight, you're gone, you know? And that was where he was, he was gone in the moment. You know, just like that scene in a Twilight, you know, when, uh, when you leave your chick alone, and she, and she bad, she's gorgeous, and she's naive, the wolves descend, and that's basically what happened, is uh, a snake showed up and gave her some bad advice, and she took it, because she didn't know no better, she was the only one in the equation that really didn't know a whole lot of nothing. She was just kind of dumped into this situation with this guy that she didn't even know. And a plan that she wasn't consulted on or involved in on a journey that she had no clue was going to do what it did. And so, naively, she takes a bite of this apple. I like to envision it as an apple because I don't know why it's I've always envisioned it being an apple. So she bites into the apple. And in this moment, everything becomes crystal clear about who she is, about what she is, and about where she is. And she realizes in that instant that not only did she make a great mistake, but that also the snake was kind of sort of right. It's a strange thing. It's a strange thing to realize that you were not hip to the real story. And so, of course, Adam is, in a sense, and when he shows up and he sees her holding that apple with a bite taken out of it, mind you, the snake is already gone because that's what haters do. Once they've done the damage, once the narcissist is, has done the damage, they're gone. They're not, you're not even a second thought to them anymore. They're off to the next victim. And that was what happened. The snake is gone now. Of course, the snake is punished, but it, it, contextually in the story. But uh, the snake is gone. And Adam's there watching the love of his life. Holding a death note. Because that's what it was. She didn't know that that was what it was, but he did. He knew that she was holding death assured. Because in all the things that Adam had seen, never once had he ever seen God lie. In fact, he'd seen him make stuff out of nothing, like it was nothing, since the day he opened his eyes. So, for him to kill something that he just created a few days ago, Adam knew this was child's play. For God. So in that instant, Adam made a decision. He had to. So what do you do when your love is about to die? By no fault of her own, really. It's a matter of circumstance. Decisions have to be made. The dragon has to be slain. What do you do? It speaks to the heart of all men. Because Adam took that apple and he bit it. Now, many men of God have made a lot of disparaging marks about Adam and what went down in, in this situation. But see, the thing about God is that God is, he judges the heart. And as your friend, I say this with all honesty and seriousness. Never forget that. Never let anyone judge you. Never let anyone try to tell you 
what God wants or what God is. God, contextually, this is, is who He is. He judges the heart of the man. What do you do when lives are on the line? Do you take responsibility or do you make excuses? Because Adam could have easily done that. He could have easily said, you know what, man, you gave me a bad gift. Look at her. She's already doing dumb shit. Like, take it back, take it back, throw it away. I mean, that's how we are now. When things, whew, like, imagine if, if it was something that happened in our current climate. Shoot. Like, that, that chick be as good as dead. <laughs> like, you gave me a bad gift, God. She sucks. Like, uh, she's trash. Throw her away. She's dumb. Right? You know, we even see this in the church now. It's like when you, you know, where they, where they hang your mistakes over your head. <laughs> like, oh, you fucked up. You missed the mark. Oh my goodness, how dare you? How dare you miss the mark? How dare you miss the mark? Don't you know that God created you? Know, it's like, what do you want to hear when you messed up? You know, I mean, it's, this is, there's a reason why Christians got so upset. When, when the LGBTQ community tries to take marriage for itself because you, you don't know what you're doing. You don't know what you're tampering with. You're tampering with something that's older than trees. Like, it, it, it's, 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 it's that rooted in our DNA. Men and women. The connection that we hold. It was solidified on this day. So, yeah, Adam didn't take the weak man's way out. A man that, that he didn't know a whole bunch. He hadn't even he hadn't even bitten from the apple yet. But he wasn't a fool and he knew that God wasn't a liar. And that he'd kill her death as soon as he found out. Not realizing in his ignorance that God's sitting there watching the whole damn thing as it was. But you know, that's how ignorance works. So he took by the apple and immediately he's aware of what Eve is aware of and immediately they both hide from each other because now they realize the truth the truth that we all realize in this world is that I'm naked and I am vulnerable there's something scary about being naked and vulnerable Because there's lots of realizations that you come to when you're naked and vulnerable. When you're naked and vulnerable, the first instinct you feel is that I could be hurt right now. I swear, men, we never feel more vulnerable than when we're at a urinal. When you're at a urinal and you're trying to pee, oh man, then dudes start you know, walking around you and behind you. You get nervous. I, I, most dudes do. I, I don't know about you guys slight sense of anxiety, especially if they get super close to you, or start trying to talk, it's like, come on, man. So yeah, that's most people. This is, this is no different with the situation. So, these two, they're hiding. They're hiding from God. Of course, God shows up. He's like, you know, Adam, why are you hiding, bro? <laughs> like, don't you know who I am? Like, why are you hiding? I can see you, dude. Adam hiding in the bushes. <laughs> Eve too. They're both freaking out. My dad's pissed. We fucked up. Damn it. <laughs> and uh, Adam, you know, he says he doesn't say the right thing in this moment. But I mean, contextually, his heart was in the right place because he was looking out for Eve. Contextually, that's what you need to get from this part of the story, is that he was looking out for Eve. He was trying to protect her. Because the Bible says it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And this was something that these two had experienced for a chance. And God just wanted to know what was up. He's like, oh, what was up? And so she, he tells on her, and then she tells on the snake. And see, the thing about it is, is that God proves the snake right in this instance and, and doesn't kill all of them. He easily could have killed all of them. The 
snake for instigating it. Her for naively going along with it. And Adam for not being there to make sure that it didn't happen. Taking responsibility for the roles you play. But see, Adam had already done this before God showed up. He took responsibility. See, there's nothing honorable about being the kind of person that when you see a, a flooded toilet in a bathroom, you just leave and go tell somebody else to do it. Adam was the kind of person that he's like, okay, I gotta fix this. It's the kind of heart that you see as a theme throughout the entire Bible about the kind of men that God chose. Men that didn't make excuses. Men that didn't expect somebody else to do the work. Men that didn't leave it up to somebody else to do the work. Men that said, even if nobody goes, I'll go. Even if it means going all alone. Even if it means people are going to hate me. Even if it means I have to defy God himself. I will do the right thing. And I will move forward. And that's all that Adam was trying to do. He was just trying to survive. But a mistake had been made and he was trying to rectify it. The best he could. With the little power he had. And so, what God decided to do is he decided to put man and woman on a path together. Where they were going to have to stand by their decision. I mean, I'm telling you, this is the literal heart of marriage. This is the reason why marriage has always been a Christian tradition. This is why, this story. Because they had to leave the garden. The story reads that they were ushered out. Imagine that. Imagine, women can understand this, imagine being in a relationship with someone that has multiple reasons to dislike you and having to be in a relationship with this person and having to work with this person and having to to <laughs> rely on this person for survival. When they have multiple reasons to hate your guts. Valid reasons. Most women of today couldn't survive in a situation like that. Too much anxiety. But Eve did. As naive as she was, as little as she knew about Adam and about the whole situation those two <clears throat> left the garden together everything changed the animals I mean imagine that you're walking with a chick that you barely know out of paradise it's like getting kicked out of the resort because your girl like <laughs> threw up in an urn or something like it, it, it's just you're pissed you had to have been pissed on some level. They both were. She was probably pissed at him because she he didn't tell her about the he didn't tell her about the doggone tree. Or that they were talking snakes. I mean imagine the conversations that they had about all the things that Adam had seen. Imagine all the fights that they had on rainy days, trying to figure out how to make it work. I guarantee you there were quite a few nights where he wished to God that he never took a bite out of that apple. That he never laid down his life for her. And then there were some days I guarantee you he was happy as hell he did. Because the story reads that they stayed together. Through thick and thin. Even had kids. And did a fairly decent job at it. I mean like they stayed together. Through it all. From the beginning to the end. They never turned tail on each other. They never quit on each other. They never bailed on each other. They stayed by each other. And they stayed by their decision to stay by each other. No matter what. No takesie backsies. It has always been my belief that preservation of life is the base trait of a man. Always has been. It's why we're stronger. It's why we're faster. It's why we're technically savvy, almost doggone right out the gate. It's because we're built 
to protect and defend life. It's the reason why God gave Adam charge over it. You do realize that contextually in the story, the earth is Adam's birthright, meaning that the earth itself is all of our, all of our birthright. It's just that it's been, if you look around, you can tell, it's been co-opted. It's under new management. It has been since the day you were born. Since the day we were all born. By a hater. <laughs> you know, by the, the, the hater of all haters. So, I just, I just wanted to tell this story. Yeah. I really, really hope you enjoyed it. But yeah, like love is love is love is not love is not what it is on TV. Love is is love is even when you don't want to love it, you do. It's fighting, it's striving together, it's contending with life together, it's taking on dragons and wolves together. Your problems are my problems. If you're under fire, I'll take the hit. That's love. And no greater love is there than he who would lay down his life for a friend. But what if it's a stranger? <laughs> Even then, right? That's, that's the kind of faith that my God requires. That's the reason why I'm doing this. That's the reason why I made this podcast. That's the reason why I'm always telling people to be their best selves, is because it's it's possible. It's built within you. You were always all that you needed. But men and women, we do need each other. And we live in a world that's constantly telling us that we don't, and that is by design. They're constantly trying to separate men and women and divide us on all of these issues and try to make us, you know, try to make women feel as though they don't need men and men are useless and constantly trying to make men feel like they are useless, there is a purpose. There is a purposeful way we are to interact and to live together as men and women. It really is. And it, and it, and it's, a, it's a partnership. It was always meant to be a partnership. And it's just, there was, there's just been a lot of bad advice, like years and years and decades of a lot of people trying to co-opt the story like that snake did and give you bad advice that's why I get my light from the source you know I don't I don't trust nobody I get my light from the source just like Adam did so that's all I got you have a good one and I hope you enjoyed it the greatest love story ever told tell it to your kids on uh, Valentine's Day or New Year's or something yeah. it's a good story Ladies.